I'm Greg Dowler Coleman. Welcome to Ellipses Thinking, a podcast dedicated to exploring the nature of the creative journey in process. If an ellipses builds the perfect bridge from where you've both been and are now to where you're next meant to be, then what intrigues me most lives in the spaces between those three tiny dots. I am so excited for the opportunity to be in conversation with my guest today. I have followed her learning and life journey from the wings for close to 25 years now. She has always set her sights on a horizon, taking every opportunity as one for learning and growth, never shirking from the hard work of opening herself up and remaining open to what her vulnerability might invite her to discover next, whether by stumbling onto it, running straight into it, or wrapping her whole self around it. She is a professor of acting and pedagogy and the faculty fellow of Mission and Identity at Loyola Marymount University in Los Angeles, an award-winning performing artist and soon-to-be-published author. To say she is an actor, a born educator or academic just seems to fall so short of acknowledging her as a powerful, courageous person. In this one wild and precious life, she is committed to exploring questions about our human beingness, creativity and spirituality, unlearning and becoming. In preparing for our conversation, I was struck by a sense of brilliant light emanating as she continues to surprise and be surprised in her quest for clarity of mission and purpose and inspired by the words of C.S. Lewis to move further up and further in. Stacey Sab, I thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being with me. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> In this moment, I'm delighted by the mm. synchronicity of this conversation in my life and really odd, grateful. Mm. So when we spoke this morning, you'd shared with such passion of having returned from a space and a place of sacred rest, and that you wished to open this conversation with a poem by Mary Oliver. Does it still feel like the place for us to begin? Yes. Okay. Wild geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, 
calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. Over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. <laughs> when in doubt, marry Oliver. <laughs> She not only wrote the instructions for living a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it, but she gave us that gift too. I mean, what a freaking legacy. So, so why? Why this poem? Why, why today? Why in this moment? Where mm. is this coming up? I assign, oh, this, is, this story is a long walk, so here we go. <laughs> right now I teach course for actors called scene study and presentation and my creativity is expressed through designing assignments that I wish I had done when I was mm. a, an early student of acting so this learning opportunity that I designed is called the actors process blueprint and it's the culmination of their study of acting and scenes and themselves through the course in which they summarize their process for becoming or creating a role and the, the aspects of their preparation, their process, their sort of technique for approaching their dream role. <laughs> and I often do the assignment in my head, I think. Who would I love to become? And I fantasize about all of the fierce revolutionaries that I'd like to play, all the lives I'd like to live. And I realized that I gave myself through this assignment the gift of knowing that what I also have in my own life is a blueprint for becoming Stacy Sabai. Wow. And that with me, within me, around me, for most of my creative life, there have been signposts, <laughs> really clear metaphors, because sometimes I must not listen closely enough. <laughs> That my work <clears throat> is to return to myself, my wild, and as a can Canadian, I feel a deep connection to geese who mm. migrate regularly between the many places that I've lived on this continent. I currently reside as an uninvited guest on the ancestral unceded land of the Tongva, known here as Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And near the Tongva Memorial on our campus, there's also uh, a labyrinth. <clears throat> and for another, for another class's midterm, I had them walk the labyrinth with a question, hover in the center, and then walk their way out and live their way into the answers to their questions. And that is the journey that I have discovered myself on, <laughs> sort of... Uh, arriving at the place I started and knowing it for the first time, journey inward and upward to self and realizing that the pandemic has forced me to, to do the very sacred thing that I have been avoiding through all the hustle and the bustle and the hurry and the worry 
of achievement in my life. Hmm. You know, literally the rat race. And hearing Mary's wise words reminding me over and over when I come back to this poem, you do not have to be good. Like, don't try so hard to be what you think other people want from you that would make you feel safe and hide the very parts of yourself that are your wild belonging and your unquestionable place in the family of things. So instead of viewing my life as a self-improvement project, <laughs> I'm rewriting my personal narrative to be uh, reclaiming of identity. So it's like hmm. phenomenal that the universe gifted me the role of faculty fellow of mission and identity the same year that I became an American citizen, <laughs> the same year that I became a faculty fellow in the AAUW, it said, stop striving, you're already here. Mm. Everywhere you go, there you are. So just stop and take a breath. Be still and know in the pandemic that you have finally returned to yourself. There's no more hiding. So that's why that poem, it's like, it's been with me from early on in my days. And this copy was given to me when I arrived at LMU by another guiding mm. light, the late, great Judy Scalin. And she saw a light in me and um, bid me to pass that torch and keep nourishing other people's flames. So yeah, yeah in this, this is a journey back to self. Thank you, Mary, for your dream work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you for, for th thank you for that taking us down that path. Um, <clears throat> what just dropped into my head was the two syllables "I am," and knowing how much of your professional career has been committed to many playwrights, but including the one for whom we study, the "I am," yeah. you know, as a measure of our human experience, that iambic pentameter, and that "I am" is it's it's just one of the most fabulously appropriate words in the English language to me because it, it, it declares itself proudly to be enough. One breath in and out. So when, when you showed up today, there were, there were three words that were literally leaping out of you. Perfection, play, and magic. And I think you've You've already given us a lovely kind of a, a beginning point to that. Where do we begin? I brought this with me. <laughs> <laughs> so please listening. share what you're holding up. I'm holding a book that came in the mail a few days ago. It's a book by the incredible Dr. Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie of Duke Divinity School, and the book mm. is called Good Enough, 40-ish Devotionals for a Life of Imperfection. Yeah. And I'm not here to shill for the book, but I will say this came at the perfect time for Lent and having uh. things to over and over remind myself to let it go. 
and mm. praise that mm. it has been good enough, whatever it is. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a real blessing. <laughs> so can we can we dance with perfection for a little bit yeah. given that that yeah you're you're arriving clearly having decided that you're going to lead in a different way with this dance partner hmm. uh, you and i have, have shared um conversation many many times over over the years and in that recognition of perfection in fact i i remember and you know I remember to this day finding you in a an acting room in tears. Yeah. And as I approached to say, what what is what is going on? And I see you remember this yeah. moment. And those tears were that expression of, I don't know, a 16, 17-year-old girl who wanted so desperately to be everything fast really fast and the fear that i i remember you expressing to me was I, I have so many dreams and i just can't get there fast enough and how will i ever be able to to get there in time to capture them before they fly away i mean that's the sense that i that i had and that so so it feels to me like perfectionism was a was a was a bug from the very get-go. Mm. Yes. I realized that part of my blueprint <clears throat> is in the instructions for life that my parents gave me. And I <laughs> threw myself too wholeheartedly. So if you'll indulge me, my mother, mother's message to baby says, know yourself, be yourself. Do your best. Be at peace with yourself. Learn all you can. Seek what is natural and wholesome. Be responsible. Value integrity and excellence. Be positive, courteous, and sincere. And my dad's message to baby, <clears throat> Stacy, please enjoy yourself. Respect yourself and that about you. Be positive. Have faith in yourself. Take good care of all of you. Be yourself and try your best. I hope that your life <clears throat> is rich and fulfilling. My love forever. So I think in the blueprint of my life as I'm understanding it today, because I think it can change, you know, we learn new skills for interpretation or telling stories about our experience. but. In there, I can see the ideas that I latched onto early and the ideas that I'm still, the charges that I'm still living my way into. And much of my life has been exploring this paradox, this complexity of what feels like doing my best and being myself. This orientation <laughs> to being good, doing good, working hard, because I think it's a performance or something for other people who then um, approve or validate my worth, my feelings, my labor. And embedded in that certainly are the structures of the oppressive structures of capitalism and patriarchy and 
all kinds of cultural cages that are meant to tame us and give power to few and keep us small. And so it's not only my parents, it's also this cultural blueprint that I have, uh, that I was born into as a child of 1985, of the mm, epigenetic blueprint of my family as being immigrants, Hmm. of working the land, that love is labor, chopping, (laughs) labor is love, that chopping wood and carrying water are love. And I had misinterpreted that for so much of my life as trying to do good enough or be good enough to, in order to then earn the right to rest, to exist. And so much of my life, certainly the first 20 or 30 years was driven by the fear of future lack, the fear of feeling not, of not feeling belonging or acceptance, which then, and I shout out to Alok, who is a prophet and a revolutionary who helped me understand this week that I have internalized much of that poison and it becomes a self-perpetuating, insidious, intrinsic drive Mm. Um, and for me, almost like a, a death-like workaholism, like it was just, I gotta go. And in so many ways I've been rewarded in society for it, which makes it so hard to give up because if you are, if one's, my behavior is driven by outward approval then my worth feels always on the other side of something. Like there are gatekeepers to mm. my, my worth and belonging and rest and joy because I have felt like I, I was not enough to deserve it. So lots of therapy. Playing Mary Poppins actually helped as well. <laughs> practically perfect. <laughs> practically perfect. But also, I realized that I'd been trying to be her. She was a part of my blueprint, too. And the lesson, actually, from Mary was not anything about perfection, actually. Well, maybe it's words. Words are always pointing to, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) abstract concepts. But for Mary and me, it was about remembering where we come from. So in P.L. Travers' books, Mary comes from a star. She is made of star stuff. Her sisters are stars. And the little baby in the Banks family, she is born remembering. And Mm. we watch her forget. And so what I realized in reading P.L. Travers' blueprint for my life was we come to Earth School, we forget where we come from so we can have the joy of remembering where we come from. So when I had that sort of, I don't know, mini wokeness, awakening, epiphany, I I felt like I had, and this is only recently, so I'm not an expert here, but like, oh, oh, wow. Mm. And... I can now look forward to a future with a little bit more love because my new belief is that I come from love. I was made by love. 
I am made of love and my purpose here is to love. So the transformation for me then is I have been so sad feeling like, oh, I'm not performing. I'm like, I don't have a stage right now. The world as I knew it has changed. (laughs) The privileged sad and the real human sad of so many beloveds dying and the fear of breath and the exchange of breath between us, all of that has made the past few years feel bleak and sad. And so the breakthrough for me was moving from perfection to play where it was suddenly like, oh, I am, I am part of the divine play or Leela or whatever you call it. And the unique joy of being this girl, this human, this both and is it is an unprecedented and unrepeatable experiment to be me. And playing is not something I that is um, that has to wait for the productivity to be complete. That like rest is a revolution and play is my birthright. Therefore, I don't got to worry so much. Yeah. So now I dance in the kitchen and I sing in the shower and I tell stories on the freeway. Because it is a free way and other people are road raging at Angelino drivers. And for me, it's time to tell God what I'm thinking or say some Shakespeare or Shange or whomever. And just say, like, I am here. I am here to play. Come on, God, let's go. You know, I, I, I love that. And, and again, if, if people listening to this are not already aware of the fact that that I'm sitting, I can't see your table, but you've already referenced a whole library, the catalog, as you say. It's it's, it's I love that about the way in which you've always gathered um, uh, and and been able to you know to to steep the teapot to allow things to to come. May I offer that for this conversation? I'm finding the same. I. I I actually thought to myself about 15 minutes before I saw your face, oh my goodness, why have I gathered all these things around? Um, But as you were talking, I couldn't help but harvest the four-letter words. We talked about a two-syllable word, a three-letter word earlier, but the four-letter words. Can I just share back what I heard? Because it's a poem, and it's this, it's this beautiful, well, it isn't, I mean, you, you make, it, make of it uh, what you wish, but it's, it just it felt like this beautiful pendulum between, well, here they are. This is what I heard, and in no particular order except perhaps the first one. Best. Lack. Fear. Rest, love, good, hard, free, self, sing, hear, play. That's what came through. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, and you brought us to that full circle of, of the play, of, of that sense of, of the essence of simply being in this moment, because this moment will pass and the next moment will come. 
So when you, when you embrace that sense of play, when you really let yourself go there, what has shifted or changed for you? What, 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 I mean, you've been sharing it in, in, in many ways, but when you really boil it down, what's it all about? Thank you for sharing our collaborative poem. That's hmm. what it's all about. It's the hokey pokey in that. It's that between us, we found words that signify our inner experience and in the truth telling of sharing it in our outer experience via English, which is reductive, but still mm -hmm. we made something that was true. And so I just feel better. Hmm. I feel better. Instead of the four letter words that feel like curses. <laughs> and and you I'm just added the word true to that list. Yeah. <sighs> Truth. True. The words that feel like warmth and freedom are the hmm. words I'm populating my consciousness with. So when I think more nourishing thoughts, my whole body lights up. And so I've thought a lot recently about Rumi's poem, The Guest House, and how mm. my depression and anxiety and every other feeling in the book is a visitor. They don't stay forever, but the, we are a guest house. We're meant to have them. And they are, as Rumi says, guides from beyond. So I've shifted my thinking about and feeling from mad, bad, sad, hmm. like a pandemic mad, bad, sad. I don't know if that's just me, yeah, yeah. but that feeling stew and into a more loving relationship in my own thoughts. And I enjoy my own company a lot more. So, if I may, <laughs> tell a story about play Please. and what I thought it meant and now what I know it means. Hmm. I remember a, an assignment that you offered students in grade 12, maybe it was grade 11, but it was the metaphor project. Hmm. I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you rem what do you remember of that metaphor? Oh, I, no, I, the, I, the pouring. Yeah, the, I remember. I do. So, for fear of of, of jumping the shark and taking your story right. away, I remember distinctly a sense of ritual, and that began with the entrance and the laying out of the towels, which was a deeply respectful way of saying I'm going to make a hell of a mess here, and I. I don't want anybody to be worried about that. I thought that through and I'll mop it up afterwards. I remember you with a glass, perhaps I've upgraded from clear plastic, but I think it was a glass pitcher. You pouring and having a sip of that water, a taste of, of something to nourish and that you liked it and you poured some more and you drank, but you couldn't get enough. You couldn't satiate the thirst. So you, lifted the rest of the pitcher up and poured it into an open gullet, completely drenching yourself. And then you politely 
cleared it all up, mopped <laughs> it up, and the ritual had its exit. That's what I remember. Did I miss anything? Precisely it. Your recollection is even more specific. No, it than wasn't mine. that. It was. It was so precisely presented. <laughs> it was so so clear. And, well, that and, was and, I, and, and I should have. <laughs> and at that moment in time, I should have said, "Whoa, girl, <laughs> you are going down a dangerous path." <laughs> However, you know how to clean up after yourself. You'll be okay. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, we can't protect each other from the fires of life we just have to you know learn that we're fireproof and though you could see that that you know the traits in me that I'm sure you've seen so many times in your other students and I see in mine now that's still my path my path it's been my tragedy and my comedy Mm -hmm. to live the life Mm -hmm. of a before and after like a way of being and and now I'm unbecoming that and like Michelle Obama told us, now is the time to become. So I learned from Glennon Doyle in Untamed that our, our faith and gender and sexuality are like water. And we've simply created containers or glasses to separate ourselves into little categories. But we are, of course, beyond that. We are the flow itself. So in this shifting relationship to faith and creativity and spirituality and that nexus, you know, whatever that is. Um, I came to work at uh, a Jesuit and Marymount University, which has challenged me to think about Catholicism in new ways. And the blessing of being with very wise Catholics is that I was given this this book, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything of Spirituality <laughs> for Real Life by Father James Martin, who has a great love of theater <laughs> and worked on Judas Iscariot, among other many other achievements. But this is in his book, it's page 388, and he's sharing a story called The Salt Doll from Anthony DeMello. Ultimately, we find our identity and our vocation in God. Our desires come from God and lead to God. To wrap up our discussion about vocation, let's end with one of my favorite stories from Anthony DeMello, which beautifully illustrates this concept. It's called The Salt Doll and is about, well, a doll made of salt. A salt doll journeyed for thousands of miles over land until it finally came to the sea. It was fascinated by this strange moving mass quite unlike anything it had ever seen before. Who are you? said the salt doll to the sea. The sea smilingly replied, come in and see. So the doll waded in. The farther it walked into the sea, the more it dissolved until there was only very little of it left. Before that last bit dissolved, the doll exclaimed in wonder, now I know who I am. The becoming and the the unbecoming in order to become. I mucked up the punchline. Now I know what I am. And that felt significant for me, that at first I saw it as who, and when I read it again, I realized it was what. 
because the corporeality and materiality of life on earth often means that we think we're these separate selves and identities and just the who the conscious beings that earn the who label is what we what we are and i think that points to um persons of faith conceiving of god in our image meaning one very little literal personification of a certain kind of judgmental uh you know paternal figure and so this <clears throat> it feels like liberation to me and validation that my faith and the sea and my conception of the wild magic as nature life the flow uh presence that they're all synonyms for the same thing and they're not something that I have to keep hustling for it's not like I'm gonna win or achieve my way to more oceanness <laughs> like and so giving up that pursuit and playing my way through life rather than only playing my way in certain activities or on stage or in prescribed hours in my calendar. You know, it's like mm -hmm. life as play, as a divine co-creation with whatever that is, that experiment of our lives. That's just, it's just better. <laughs> it's just like, it totally is better. I, 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 life. I, <laughs> it's 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 really wonderfully better I, you know it's it it's funny because i one of the things that i was pulling up and i know that we've shared before is um is is the rise um uh book by sarah lewis i, I don't know if you've had a chance yet to, to get into it but she talks uh, there's a whole chapter on the deliberate amateur and and there's a there's a, a quote off the top if i can share it to know and then how not to know is the greatest puzzle of all. So much preparation for a few moments of innocence, of desperate play, to learn how to unlearn. Now that's not Lewis, that's Philip Guston is, is the is the quote is but but yeah the the she really expands upon the incredible value of entering into the areas where we we are being deliberately fresh faced and 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 wide you know wide eyes and i have no idea how to do this this isn't my pursuit of a particular area of mastery it's just me walking in and uh yeah it just sounds so exciting to 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 hear you get to that place knowing that you've been you've been squeezing your way in many ways for a long time and that, that that must be such a common experience in a world where we do have all of these containers you know the, the ways in which we we feel the expectations not just from outside but even more so from from inside Over the years, when teaching theater history or referencing significant artistic moments and the creative voices that inevitably emerge in the darkest times of war and conflict, it was always back then or way over there. 
In fact, as Canadians, we have been incredibly fortunate throughout our history to be way over here. And so now, as we look on at the ravages of an indefensible war on a peaceful and autonomous democratic Ukraine, I find myself wondering how artists here might be processing and responding to what they are seeing and experiencing in real time, just over there. On next week's episode of Ellipses Thinking, our focus will be on the role of the artist in response to war and conflict. We welcome two conversations with Canadian artists with deep connections to Ukraine. In the first, I speak to Larissa sembalek Chaladin, who over the past four decades has been bringing light into the world through the joyful expression of her paintbrushes. And in the second half, we will be joined by playwright Matthew McKenzie and actor-director Patrick Lundin, and through them with actor-playwright Liana Makouk, whose play Barvenok, inspired by her grandmother's journal, brought the trio to Ukraine numerous times in the past few years and how those research trips resulted in the formation of incredible friendships of people whose lives are now in danger every moment of the day. I hope you will join me next week on Friday for Ellipses Thinking here on the Ordinary Podcasting Network, and I remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever your virtual listening needs are met. So it's my understanding that you are fresh off a mountaintop, um, having at least had a mountaintop experience, and I think literally um, it's a it's a pretty high mountaintop up there above the the, the Los Angeles basin. Um, t- t- tell us what that was about. Where have you come? Where have you been? And and who's coming home? Hmm. <clears throat> well, having grown up near the Canadian Rockies, I remember learning that you never come down a mountain the same person. So every time I've literally climbed a mountain or figuratively climbed a mountain, I feel it (laughs) structurally. (laughs) I'm actually, oh, this is a tangent, but maybe it's not a tangent. I've been getting structurally integrated. (laughs) I've been getting rolfed, which is an extraordinary uh, healing modality that addresses the fascia. And for Mm. me, that's felt like the issues in my tissues that have accumulated over time. I often say to actors that unexpressed impulses turn into thought, but unexpressed Mm. feelings turn into issues in our tissues. And so this year, I've been feeling unready for physical activity. Like I'm someone in the pandemic that's like, please just give me a weighted blanket and a sunny corner for a nap. But since I've been getting structurally integrated, I've been feeling more capable and flexible in my yoga practice and also just like ready for more interesting physical challenges. So when I had the invitation arrive to attend a faculty retreat um, as a a mentor in our mission and ministry, our mission and identity programming. I was like, yes, retreat, please. Mountaintop, yes. (laughs) Time by myself, yes. Hiking, yes. (laughs) 
It was like the panacea, the pandemic panacea. Hmm. That I realized, like, even though I've been at home, I've been at home with pets and loved ones. I've been with a lot of other people's feelings on Zoom screens. And I am wise enough to know that therapy and writing and movement are helpful, but structural integration has felt like leveling up. It's felt like a life hack. And it readied me for the experience I had over the last Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, four days, which was super transformative, like something I know that I'll be grateful for when I have my deathbed moments and investing mm, that time wow. to be like, Stacy, if you go to the mountain, <laughs> the mountain doesn't have to come to Stacy. If you go to the mountain and sit down with yourself, great things will happen. So I had that hunch and that hunch was correct. <laughs> it was exactly what I needed. And I feel so, I just feel the tremendous amount of privilege I have and um, I just feel grateful for the opportunity. And so I want to pass this wisdom forward because it feels like it's been offered to me in order to share it with others who maybe can't get immediately to a mountaintop. Please, please do. The retreat was built around contemplative practices. So when we were offered plenty of, plenty of space for grace and time for rest, that much of our time was unstructured with terrifically minimal demands. There was a kitchen staff and uh, a group of tremendous humans who kept house for us so we could keep peace with ourselves and sort of not attend to what's going, what was happening in the world. We had bad Wi-Fi, so we couldn't get online. <laughs> we couldn't answer emails and we could barely do phone calls. So the only telephone call you're having is upstairs. So another gift of this place was the, its location and its creatures. So it's the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center in Palos Verdes, which is sort of the highest point you can get to and in that part of the city. It has, uh, from the retreat center, a panoramic view of the Los Angeles basin. And it has, allegedly, I didn't see, but a peacock, a resident peacock, as well as innumerable other wild creatures, plenty of birds and butterflies. And when you stand on, in the labyrinth or walk the labyrinth, there's sort of just can, a green canopy, which as a city dweller, is, it's, it inspires a great sense of awe and wonder and relief. So everywhere I went throughout the retreat, the retreatment, I felt like the breath dropping in and down, like, oh, there are all of these landings, all of these benches, these places to rest. I mean, you can't go 15 feet without a new bench. And from that bench, you're invited to look at this beauty and there's nothing to do but look and witness and feel fully sensory experience of just wow wow and last year i had read Anne lamott's help thanks wow 
her three essential prayers and the the whole retreat I was like wow thank you wow so I took uh an epic hike there's a place called the Palos Verdes Nature Preserve Portuguese Bend Nature Reserve and it's pretty steep steep cliffs I mean, you're go- you're just going straight up. There's no like switchbacks. You just go, and when you begin, you're on top, so you see a panoramic view of the Pacific Ocean and Catalina Island, and it just draws you down, down and forward. You go, oh, I want a piece of that, and so down I go, straight down, like many, many, many flights of stairs. And throughout the whole journey down, I kept encountering, I don't know how to say it, uh, visitors, guests, Sherpas on my journey. The first person I met, no, he was a third. There was two others, but I'll totally only but a few of them. He bowed to me on the trail. When was the last time he bowed to me? It was like such a namaste moment that I was like, oh, I'm on a sacred journey. Hello, fellow traveler. And down I went, and then came the horses. So this trail is a horse trail. Okay. And because of this wonderful human who had bowed to me, I bowed to all of the horses. And I'll tell you what. They bowed right back. And one of them who was on a like training walk with a person, and I was like, clearly that horse is training that human. It's not the other way around. <laughs> it was just a trust walk. Kept looking back at me. And they would walk about 10 steps and the handler would get frustrated because the horse kept looking back. And it was like the kind of communion where like, I have accompaniment on this journey. So down I go, there are butterflies, there's a eucalyptus grove. I mean, it's just exquisite. There was another horse and on it, a woman who was wearing a shirt that said, no excuses. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the bottom and I sat for a while on this little promontory staring at the ocean. <laughs> Okay, it's time. It's time. And when I felt ready to walk back up the the trail without enough water or sunscreen, another woman with horse walked up. She said, Do you want to go first? We're gonna take our time. And I said, No, ma'am, I do not. And I started the most difficult hike I have ever taken straight back up this mountain. And it was the best my body had ever felt. It was like that sweat pouring, loose feeling, just like go energy. And I got to the top and I was like, look what I have done. I never imagined that that was possible in this 36-year-old body that hasn't moved and I don't even want to say how long. But because I got myself together in structural integration and I had all of this help, my only work was to keep one foot in front of the other on the path. And our labyrinth journey at the retreat center taught me that. And like, so did Stephen Sondheim. You know, you just like, there is a path for you 
just keep walking. And when you get to the top, wow, it was worth it. That was hard. We can do hard things and it is worth it. But I had to take every landing that was presented to me, every stump, every stone, every bench, every platform. Somebody had walked that trail before and said, here you go. You'll need one in another 10 steps. (laughs) And so that hike and several other encounters on the property had me weeping a lot of salt tears and throughout the weekend I was like okay the cure for everything is salt water sweat tears or the sea and I had all of it and that I think is the only way that I can have a kind of baptism of becoming so that I'm like wow pandemic <laughs> so much death and so much life and we just got to move on Like, I'm really tired of dwelling in the stuff of my past. I'm just grateful for the wisdom I have now. And I feel slightly more hopeful for the future with the wisdom that Earth School and the wise people around me have offered recently. It feels like an act of faith to be like, wow, it is is an hostile universe. If I pay attention with a kind of sacramental worldview, everywhere is like signs that it's okay and that I feel happy and safe in stillness and silence in a way that before I I could access only briefly in meditation or some sort of transcendent experience. And now I'm like, oh, once you have a taste of freedom, you just want more. Oh, I am I am so, so thrilled for you in this moment and the next and the next and the next to come. Just to be able to see that it goes beyond joy. And and it's that third word, I think. It just arrived in the space. Yeah. Magic. And I wonder, would would it would you be willing to read a poem that that you've that you've shared with me and I would love others to hear called Magic? Look up. Look up. Look up, further up, and further in. The storytellers showed you angels in America, a wrinkle in time, Narnia, what dreams may come as blueprints of heaven. Nature offered you birds and butterflies defying gravity, rainbows, the northern lights, the view of the sea and the mountains. The poets told you, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. Feelings aren't guests, they don't stay forever and informative guides from beyond. Keep praying, help, 
Thanks. Wow. Fill the Stacy-shaped hole. Trust the mysterious unfolding of your life. Hallelujah! Oh, P.S. Those midlife moments that feel like you're not wearing any skin? Soul x-rays. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, I love that postscript. But the hallelujah earned it. Oh, the mysterious unfolding. <clears throat> yeah. That was a mantra given to me by my cousin, a sabbi. And I feel a kind of gratitude for the specific kinship of family who keep pointing you towards your true north. So to Michelle, thank you for helping yeah, me trust the mysterious unfolding of my life. Yeah, and the invitation for it to do the unfolding as well. You know, as we started this conversation, as I remembered the 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 young girl who was doing her best to honor her dad's gift or her mom's gift of that word best. Right. There was a winding. There was a need to wind. And now it's, un and it's not unraveling. Yeah. Maybe it is, but it's unfolding in a different way. And, 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 mm. and there's a surrender to that that I'm seeing that is magnificent. So I've been um I've, I've been bringing these conversations to uh to a close with a with a question. And I'm wondering if I'm going to be wide open to surprise, but I'm wondering what might drop in here. Take yourself down the path a little bit further. I know that you are so celebrating being in the moment right now, but just dream vision outwards there to a child who's telling a story. It might be a child that is related to you in some way, but two, three, four generations down. And they, and I'm going to, I'm going to shift it to she is telling a story about Stacy Sabai. What do you hope when you're eavesdropping from somewhere else? What do you hope you might hear her say? She was wild. She was free. She was love. Thank you. Thank you. I love that our conversations always feel like weaving and cross-pollinating. <laughs> that every time we get together, the idea gardens just get more beautiful, you know, with more wild ideas and more time and maturity, you know? Mm. It's just like the things that we've created together through art and conversation and mentoring and whatever phase of life we're in together now it's just so beautiful mm. hey, there's nobody like you in my life and i 
hope that all of our listeners have the privilege and the pleasure of finding someone to walk alongside them through the woods because it makes all the difference. The Ellipses Thinking Podcast is a proud member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network and is produced by Greg and Jordan Dowler-Coltman. The show's theme music has been generously provided by Jordan Hart. And if you're interested in learning more about the ideas behind Ellipses Thinking, please visit dowlercoltman.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. As a resident of Vancouver Island, I wish to acknowledge that I am a visitor on the traditional lands of the Coast Salish people, including the territories of the Snonoas and Qualicum people. The first peoples have been here for over 10,000 years, their ancestors still here with us in the sky, the land, the ocean, and all of the beings that share this sacred place. As a settler, I gratefully embrace the opportunities for growth as integral to my personal journey of collaboration and reconciliation as I learn and further support the possibilities that lay ahead. I remain committed to practicing my craft in a decolonized space.